You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is Todd, and I don't like to ask for directions. Like to an unhealthy level, I don't like to ask for directions. And fortunately, we live in a day and age where if I need to drive somewhere, my phone knows how to get everywhere, and it's awesome. But driving is not the only place that you need to ask for directions. I don't like to ask for directions if I am in a complicated building that I have never been in. You know what? Mind your business, hospital desk associate person. I will find room E-341.476 myself. I don't like asking for directions if I'm in a store looking for something. I kid you not, I will walk around the store for a half hour trying to find it myself before asking somebody who could point me to the right place in two minutes. And my wife, my bless her, who has some like sense of sanity in this area, when she finally decides, you know what, I'm done letting Todd try to like find it himself. Like, I, I, I'm gonna go and ask somebody. I'm gonna ask them to give me directions. I'll stand like two aisles over so it doesn't look like I am associated with the person who needs help finding direction. And then I will gripe the whole way, walking to it, blaming basically the store for my ridiculousness. There, I feel better. I've confessed it. Probably not gonna change anything, but I have confessed it. And you know, my, my wife and I, whenever we are, whenever we need to travel some places, sometimes she will ask me this question. She'll say, do you know where you're going? And my response to her sometimes is like, well, I know like 90% of where I'm going. Do you know how helpful 90% of knowing how to get someplace is? It is really only slightly more helpful than not knowing it at all. Because it's that last 10% where things always seem to break down. It's where I miss a turn and I start getting stressed out and now we're starting to run behind a little bit and so I say something snippy to my wife which hurts her feelings and then the kids start saying, when are we gonna get there? And like everybody's starting to get stressed out and finally I decide, okay, I should ask my wife for help. She says something snippy back to me which I totally deserve and then we're, everybody's upset, everybody's freaking out, we're, we're running way behind all because I couldn't just say, no, sweetie. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> well, this week we are in week two of two of a series we started last week called Idle Engines. And, and last week I asked you all the question, what drives you? What is it that sets your priorities? What is it that determines what in your life gets your time and your energy and your attention? And, and the reason I ask is because I feel like there are a lot of us who are kind of exhausted, we're stressed out, we're getting burned out, chasing after all of these different things, and, and, and quite frankly, we're letting the wrong things drive us. We let these things drive us that we're never meant to be the drivers in our lives. We, we take good things that God created and we put them at the center in a place that really only God was ever meant to have. And these things are stressing us out. They're burning us out. And these are our idle engines. They're taking the place of our loving creator God and, and they're putting this, this stress on our lives because these things were never meant to drive. That is like 35 minutes of talking last week in like 
45 seconds. So if you, if you want to know more, and especially we took some time last week to talk about how we identify some of these idle engines in our lives, I would very much encourage you to check out, check out last week's message. But this morning, this morning, I would like to ask you this question. It is one of my wife's favorites. Do you know where you're going? And what I mean by that is, do you know what the driving forces in your life, do you know where those things are taking you to? Do you know where they're driving you to? And I, I, I very much hope you hear me in saying this, that this series, this, it, it was born from a place of, or two, when we aren't driving God's direction. We'll tackle this, uh, this first one here first. We, we don't care where we're going. And now whenever I say we don't care where we're going, I'm not saying that we are somehow careless with our lives, that we don't care about the things that we're doing in our lives. It's just like whatever, you know, that's, that's not what I'm saying when I say careless. What I'm saying is that I, I, I mean that we don't stop and think about how maybe this step is connected to the ones down the road or how this decision impacts that decision, impacts the next decision after it. We don't think about our lives with kind of this bigger picture purpose. We kind of live moment to moment. And, you know, I'm going to do what makes the most sense right now. And, and that's going to be kind of the best decision for me. And then in the next moment, I'm going to do kind of the best thing, whatever makes the most sense for me right then. And, and that's just sort of how we, how we get living in a way where we don't, we don't really care big picture, long term, where it is that we're going. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad of, of several small kids, and, and they, they remind me regularly how important it is to, to think about, you know, what you do today and how it impacts what happens down the road. Like, when my kids are whining, some of you have kids that whine, yes? When my kids are whining, and, and it's because they want something, like, the easiest thing for me to do in the moment, like, for my sanity, the best thing for me to do in the moment would be to just give them whatever it is that they want. Like, just let them have it so that the whining will stop. But my wife and I, we've talked about it, and we, you know, we want to raise these little human beings who don't think that the way that you get what you want in life is by complaining or by who can make the biggest scene. Because don't we all wish we lived in a world where you couldn't get what you wanted in life by complaining or making the biggest scene? <laughs> and so sometimes, so whenever, it, it, the, yeah, the best thing in the moment for my sanity would be just give them what they want. But we're not caving against that because we know we want to raise human beings and that they they. They start this when they're very young. And so we, we can't, you know, we've got we've to raise them in the way that we want them to be down the road. And as parents, you know, this is something that we've just kind of figured out. And it's something that we're kind of clued into because of some things we've seen in our lives. There's parenting stuff that you probably do better than us that you're clued into that we, you know, don't have a clue yet. And feel free to point it out sometime. Um, but <laughs> the same thing is true for all of us. When, we, uh, when it comes to what we du let direct our course in life. Like the same thing is true for us whenever, whenever we don't, if we don't care, if we don't have a mind for like a bigger purpose of where it is we're trying to end up, we're gonna end up being driven by things that only make sense right now. Like we're, we're gonna end up being driven by things that, that are good in the moment, but ultimately that aren't sustainable and that, you know, kind of proverbially speaking, end up with us soaking wet and homeless is how Jesus would put it. 
In Matthew chapter seven, at the end of Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You got two builders here, and both of them are set out on the same task. They want to build a home. And so they set out on their work, but one of, the, one of them is living kind of in the right now. He's living in the moment. He says, you know what? Let's find us some beachfront property and get that sucker up. One of them says, I'm going to take something, I'm going to build something that takes a little bit longer. It's, it's probably going to be a little harder to build. It's something that's going to take a little more thought, a little more planning, probably going to have to work with some harder materials. And one of those houses was built to last. And what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to build on something that's sustainable. He wants us to live a life of purpose. Like he wants, and he's doing this, yeah, this is, for, this is for our benefit. He's doing this because he loves us. He wants you to lead a life that's fulfilling. He wants it to be built on sturdy stuff so that when the challenges and the harshness that comes to life, because it does for all of us, whenever that stuff comes and beats against us, our lives won't collapse because it was built on sturdier stuff. He loves us too much to let us do that. He wants us to, he wants us to, to build on stuff that matters, idols, those, those created things, the things that tend to get pushed to a little too high of importance in our lives. They can't provide this for you. Your job cannot hold you up if the market collapses and your job no longer exists or you wake up one morning and you realize, I hate what I do. Your, your relationships, your relationships, they, they will let you down. They, they will pass by you because of time or, or distance or even death sometimes separates us. Our recreation, our sports, our play, those things, we, all of us, we end up getting injured. We age out. We, we can't have those things as a part of our life anymore. Jesus is calling us to build our lives on him. He, he, he's saying that, that to, you need to learn what I have taught you. You need to receive the guidance. You need to follow the purpose that I've laid out for your lives, which is to become more like me, become more like Jesus, because he is the sturdiest stuff. There's no situation in your life that can arise, that can move him an inch, let alone knock him over. And so he's saying, listen to me, follow me. Jobs are good. Jobs are a good thing. Recreation is good. Relationships are good. But none of them are strong enough to be your foundation. Only Jesus is. But he doesn't get there by accident. Like, it's not, it's not something that just happens magically on its own. The way that Jesus becomes the center, the foundation of our life is whenever we choose to, to push those things aside that are chipping away at that foundation, when we choose not to follow after those other things, when we make the intentional decision to care about where we're going in the long run, and to connect with God through worship, to connect with his people, to be encouraged and challenged by his word, 
to say no to the things that pull us away from him. And it starts with the decision to care. It starts to care about having Jesus at the center and making the decisions in our lives that reflect that. So that's kind of the first one. That's, that's not caring about where it is we're going. One of the reasons that we let these idle engines get set up. Another reason why we let idle engines get set up is because we aren't driving God's direction. And again, there's, you know, there's a couple categories of people who fall under this umbrella. There are, there are those who have never made any sort of statement or claim that they want to be going God's direction. And then there are those who have. Now, to those of you in that first category, uh, first, let me just say, I'm, I am super humbled and pumped that you would be checking out Kingsway to speak into something so important in your life. We, we believe that Jesus is absolutely the biggest deal that there is, and we think it's a really big deal that you're looking into him to check out this whole God, Jesus, church thing. And so we, we would love to, to help you connect. And, and, and maybe you've heard here already that it's like, we think that this is the, the thing that you can build your life on and that the other things that sometimes we try to build on, and maybe you've already experienced this, they, they can't sustain us. It's something that's, it, it's got the likelihood, if not the absolute certainty of letting you down. And, and maybe you're here in the room because that's already happened, because you've already been let down by a job, you've been let down by a relationship, you've been let down by an addiction, and you're just looking for something that won't. Jesus won't. Jesus isn't going to let you down. Jesus has the love and the grace for you, no matter what your past looks like. He's got purpose for you. He can give you direction in your life that's rooted in stronger stuff than you could find anywhere else. He wants to give you that direction. We would love to help you start. If you don't know the step to take, after, after service, come find me, Rhett, any of the people who are standing down front after service, or just take that Get Connected cards you got whenever you were handed in. If you just write on there, help me follow Jesus, I'll get a hold of you this week. So we're so glad that you were looking into that. Now, there are some of us, though, some of us, though, are in a different boat. We're not in that boat. Uh, some of us have very much made statements in our lives to the effect of wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to be going the direction that God's going. We've made some decisions that reflect those decisions. We've made decisions to get baptized or, or to join a church. But doing those things, having done those things, having, having said that I want to be going God's direction, that doesn't make us immune to setting up idle engines and being driven by those in our life. You know, last week we talked about how it can be sometimes really hard to identify an idle engine because it starts out as a good thing, a good thing that God created. And, and it just gets put to a place that's too important for us. And, 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 but that's not where we start out whenever we say we want to follow Jesus. You know, I have the privilege of getting to spend a little bit of time with most of the people who get baptized here at Kingsway. And, and you know, not once have I had a conversation where somebody said to me, you know, I want to publicly declare that I am following Jesus. And then maybe later just kind of start following some other stuff you know, to really find purpose and fulfillment. It hasn't happened. 
But Jesus, again, in Matthew 7, if we just jump back a couple verses to 21, he says this. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. In other words, you can't just say that you want to follow Jesus and be good. You've got to get around to the, actually following him. You know, a few weeks back, I had to, uh, I had to travel to South Dakota because uh, one, of our, one of our church vehicles had gotten stranded there. It had suffered a minor, complete transmission failure. And so I had to go, uh, I had to go pick it up after it had gotten fixed. And, and as I'm getting ready to leave Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it was my stated intention. I said out loud what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was to drive south into Iowa and then east to get back home. That was my stated intention. And it wasn't until I passed a sign that said, welcome to Minnesota, that I realized that maybe my stated intention and the path that I was on weren't the same thing. Now, fortunately, it's, it, it's, it's roughly equal. If you kind of go over and down and then down and then over, you get to Indiana in roughly the same amount of time. But the point that I'm trying to make is that it doesn't matter what direction you say you want to go if you get on a road that is taking you a different direction. Too many people, especially in the United States, say that they want to be a follower of Jesus, that they want to be a Christian, and then they get on a road that's taking them someplace else. And and why do we do this? Well, it's because at the outset, following Jesus sounds pretty good. I mean, forgiveness, like forgiveness of of all my bad decisions, all my mistakes, past, present, and future, that that sounds good. Eternal life in paradise, that sounds really good. Actually making Jesus the center of my life and building my world around following him, that's much more difficult. And Jesus, he said it like this. Again, Matthew chapter seven. This is out of the ESV version. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It doesn't matter where you say you want to end up if you aren't on the path that takes you there. If you want to finish in the right destination, you have to make sure that you're on the right path. Your direction determines your destination. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. He says that the wrong road, it is easy to find and it is easy to walk. The right path it's harder to find. It's harder to travel. And as I was thinking about that this week, God kind of brought this, this image to my, to my mind of why it might be so hard walking this path. And, and have you ever been in a situation where you need to be walking in the opposite direction of a big crowd of people who is, who is moving one way? 
Like you need to get down to the front of a room that everyone else is trying to exit or, oh, this one's good. You need to get back to like the front of an airplane that everybody else is trying to board. Like it is very hard to find a path. (laughs) it's, It's very difficult. It is slow going. You're gonna bump into people. You are going to get some dirty looks like, how dare you be so dumb or aloof to think you could be walking a different direction than the rest of us? And I think that's a little bit what it's like trying to actually follow Jesus, not just say you wanna follow him, but actually following him in a world that is following their idols. You're going to be walking against the stream. It's not going to be an easy or a popular choice. You're gonna see a lot of people around you who are going a different direction and who are not gonna like the fact that you're kind of walking against the grain. You're gonna experience that if you don't walk with a lot of purpose, with a lot of intention, knowing where it is that you want to go, that it would be very easy for you to get sort of swept up in the crowd and not even realizing that you had lost your direction until way after it happened. Jesus is clear. You can't just say that you want what Jesus is offering at the finish line. You have to... Walk where Jesus is walking, where he's leading to get you there. You've got to put Jesus at the center of your life and stop following these other things that are fighting for your time and your energy and attention. We see sort of a, a micro version of this happen in, in John chapter six. The, uh, the chapter starts out with this huge crowd following Jesus. Like Jesus had been healing, miraculously healing the sick people among them. And the people were like, yeah, I, w- I wanna see more of this. And so this huge crowd is following, following Jesus and, and they, they end up following him to this place. It's kind of out in the sticks and he's teaching them and it gets to be about supper time. And, and long story short, there's not enough food to feed everybody and, and the disciples bring Jesus, this little boy. He's got, he's got this small lunch. It's got you know, five pieces of bread and a couple of fish and, and, and Jesus takes this, this meal and he performs this miracle where he feeds with this little bit of food thousands and thousands and thousands thousands of people. And needless to say, the people were impressed. They said, we like this Jesus. We like this guy who is healing our sick and who can give us a free dinner. Like we, we want it. We want to see more of this. They were big fans of what Jesus was offering. Just like today, we have a lot of people who are big fans of what Jesus is offering. Forgiveness, eternal life, good things. They're big fans of those things. So later on in the chapter, the crowd, they show up again and they're, you know, they're kind of angling for another meal. It's, they're, they're like, hey, Jesus, maybe we can make this free dinner thing a permanent arrangement. And, and so Jesus, well, I'm just gonna say it. Jesus makes it weird. This is chapter six, picking up in verse 48, Jesus talking. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Jesus is referring to a time thousands of years before when the people of Israel were physically fed by God. God provided them the food that they needed every single day. And they had, you know, they had lived their lives, they'd passed away. But Jesus says, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, 
is my flesh. Like I said, Jesus makes it weird. Verse 52, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus doubled down. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. If you've been around church for a while and you've forgotten how weird this sounds, I was going through this last night. My son, who's five, heard me say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and goes, ew. Because this was weird. In fact, at this point, many of the people who had said that they wanted to be followers of Jesus said, yeah, I'm out. And they walked away. Now, there's no question that this, I mean, this was a hard teaching. And, and without even, you know, fleshing it out, pun intended, uh, it sounds like Jesus is saying that we need to cannibalize him in order to get to eternal life. Now, fortunately for us, Scripture does explain this more. Jesus does explain this teaching, but it doesn't make it any less difficult. What Jesus was saying is that I am going to give up my flesh and my blood for you. I am going to die for you. And that that death, the death that I die for you, it is all that you need. It is what you need to sustain you. And nothing else can do it. It will sustain you like the very food you put in your bodies will sustain you. But anything else you chase after to rely on, to try and build your life on, any of those other things, if you chase after them to sustain you, you are going to die. The only way that you find true eternal life is if you rely on Jesus. And Jesus draws this radical line in the sand about following him. And he's saying that I am all that you need to find what you're looking for, to find the purpose that you're looking for in life, to stop being burned out by these other things. I am all that you need. And you need to rely on me like I am all that you need. Stop looking other places. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it in your relationships. You're not going to find it in your recreation. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in success. You're not going to find it in substances. You're not going to find it in experiences. You're not going to find it in technology. Come to me because I am all that you need. In order for us, in order for us to be on the right path today and not be driven by these idle engines. We have to rely on Jesus at the center as the one propelling us forward, the most important thing in our lives. And it's after that that we figure everything else out. Jesus is drawing that same radical line in the sand for us today. He said, not everybody who comes to him saying, Lord, Lord, saying those words, looking to get what he offers, is going to find it. Only those who actually get on the road and start walking his way. And Kingsway, this is, this is not a mean thing. This is not a control thing. This is not a power play. This is a love thing. 
this is a he cares about us thing. This is a God wants more for us than to watch us have lives that are on the brink of collapse thing. My, my kids are three, three, and five, and I can say with a fair amount of certainty that I know what they need to sustain their lives and what will collapse their lives much better than they do. I know it's not a mean thing for me to make them go to bed at night and not let them stay up until whenever they want because I know that they are going to be miserable the next day. It's not a power play for me not to let them slide down the boiling hot slide whenever we go to the park. It's not a control thing. It's me loving them knowing that this is gonna ruin the rest of your time at the park. Jesus loves us. And when he says, rely on me, I am the only thing that can sustain, it's that he knows that all of the other things we would chase, all of the other things that we would try to put in that place in our lives are only gonna let us down, they're only gonna hurt us in the long run. All right, so let's bring it home. Practically, practically. How do we change course if we have been driven by an idle engine? How do we make God at the center of our lives and make sure that we are going his direction? I'm gonna give you three, these are are pieces of advice. This is something that I hope helps. The first thing, the first thing that we've gotta do is we've gotta call out idols in your life for what they are. We talked about this a lot more last week. I gave you some tools of how to recognize idols, but we have got to call them out for what they are. If they are things that God warns us against, if they're things that are, that are good things, but we're, we're, we're taking them to a place where they're getting too much importance, if, they are, if, they're, if they're the, we're enjoying God's good blessings and gifts, but we're ignoring our time with God, any of that, all of that, we've got to call them out as idols. You know the old adage, the first step to getting better is admitting you have a problem. Jesus doesn't get to be at the center of our lives by accident. We've got to call out the things that are pulling our attention away from him. We've got to call out idols for what they are. Second thing you can do or you do to change course is to radically realign your life to what you love most. I say radically because this isn't going to make sense to other people in your life. It's not going to look the same as everyone else. And honestly, most people who would hear this and ultimately hold on to their idols, this is a step that they would never take. Because it requires us to walk against the crowd, to walk against the grain like we talked about before. See, when everybody else prioritizes their job or their sports team or getting a little bit of extra sleep and you prioritize God, that's going to look radical. Whenever you set up some non-negotiables in your life, time connecting with God and with others, serving the kingdom, giving back a portion of what you have been given to fuel the mission that God has for the church and for the world, when you actually prioritize those things and you put them on the calendar first and you put them in the budget first before adding anything else, that's going to look radical. But that's what it means to realign your life for what you love the most. A lot of people love what Jesus is offering, but don't ever take this step. 
And this is going to take realignment. It takes actually going to your calendar and your budget and making these decisions, saying, how can this reflect that I love Jesus most? You may have to say no to things that you've been saying yes to for a really long time. It may cost you something, a promotion, a relationship. It's something that you are willing to give up because you love God most. Identify idols, call out idols for what they are, radically realign your life to what you love most, and then lastly is this. Give yourself a better reason for being there. This is how you can sort of idol-proof your life for the future. What you do is once you have said that Jesus is my priority and you set that as your priority, you're always gonna have your schedule and calendar filled with other things, work, play, other activities and responsibilities. They're always going to be a part of your life. But give yourself a better reason for being there. Those things are always going to try and give you a reason of their own. They're going to tell you, this is why we are so important. This is why we are maybe the most important thing in your life because they've got a reason for you to be there. But once you've decided that I love Jesus the most and I wanna walk on the path he wants me to walk and that my purpose is to become more like Jesus, give yourself a better reason for doing those things. And I mean, actually do this. This isn't like hypothetical. Look at your calendar. Look at the stuff that's on it and say, what is a better reason for being there than the one that they're giving me? A better reason to work than just to earn a paycheck or to try and climb some professional ladder. No, I'm gonna be there because I wanna honor God with my work and I want people to see Jesus in my life. Our family, we're not a part of that travel team just so we have more opportunities to compete. We're there because we get to rub shoulders with families who need to know Jesus. Give yourself a better reason for being there. And you know what happens when you do? The wind changes. You, have a, you, you get a better win out of the things that you're doing because you're not trying to be satisfied by these things that, 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 are, that ultimately cannot satisfy you. Now, you're not there for the reason your boss has you there. You're not there for the reason your coach has you there, for the reason the world has you there. You're there so that you can be more like Jesus and so that people can see Jesus in your life. So it doesn't matter how, how the game went, if you, if, if you won or lost, if people saw Jesus in your life. It doesn't matter how the, how the presentation went, as long as people could see that you work hard because you honor God. The wind changes and we're able to live a life that is truly satisfying because we know where our foundation is. In, a, in just a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna move into our time of communion. And we're gonna be taking it at, at tables today. We've got tables set up in different spots around the room and, and I would encourage you, come down with your family, um, stand around the table, take communion together. There are trash bins there to drop your cups off in. This is a time that Jesus gave us every week to acknowledge the whole flesh and blood thing. Like a piece of bread to represent his body, a cup of juice to represent his blood, saying that I sacrificed for you. This is our opportunity to remember that he drew that line in the sand and said, I am all that can sustain you. I'm the only source of true life. I'm the only thing worth building your life on that isn't gonna let you down, so come follow me. Come walk the path that I have laid out for you and there you will find purpose. There you will find forgiveness. And there you will find eternal life. Would you pray with me?
Father God, Lord, you do love us so much. Lord, you don't want us living lives that are on the brink of collapse. Lord, you don't want us being crushed whenever a change happens in a job or a relationship or any of these other things that we can sometimes be guilty of building our lives on. You love us too much for that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to walk your way. Whether we're taking the very first step on that path or, Lord, whether we've been walking a long time, if we've been pulled off course by other things, Lord God, Father, we would turn our eyes back to you. Lord Jesus, you died and your death sustains us. It is all we need to find eternal life. Lord, I, I pray that we would be able to identify the idols. I pray that we would be able to realign our lives based on our love for you. I pray that we would let you give us a better reason for being there so we can experience real satisfaction. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.